0: The strong evidences that the Bible is divine rather than human in origin is predictive prophecy. And Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection before it happened. And he also predicted the fall of Jerusalem and the end of the age. That's in Mark 13. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's an incredibly powerful passage. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. All right, well, did you take your Bible? Let's open together to the book of Mark. We're in chapter 13, part two of a message called I've Told You Everything in Advance. We'll get to some Christmas messages as we move closer to the holiday, but. We're gonna continue to move through the Gospel of Mark, and we're gonna pick up the study in Mark 13, verse 14. So go ahead and locate Mark 13, 14. What's the purpose of prophecy? You might ask that question. Some people uh, today are prophecy buffs. It seems like when you talk to them, they spend a lot of time investing in prophecy. You might ask the question, what is prophecy? Maybe you're new to the Bible and you're not quite sure. Well, prophecy has a twofold meaning. Prophecy is the forth telling of the word of God, so it is in one sense just the truth of God's word, spoken forth, but prophecy has another sense and it is predictive in nature. It's one of the things that we said two weeks ago sets the Bible apart from all other so-called religious documents. The Bible predicts history in advance. In in regard to the prophecies of Jesus Christ alone, these prophecies are predicted some 700 and even 1,000 years before he was born. That's pretty amazing. And Jesus, I mentioned to you as we taught the first part of Mark 13, predicted the fall of Jerusalem some 40 years in advance. When God prophesies an event, he really puts his reputation on the line. If you're interested in the apologetic side of the faith or in evidence and that kind of thing, things that you can test, prophecy certainly falls in that category. Because if a predictive prophecy is made, it's not that difficult to test it. You can see the prophecy and then did it come to pass. The Bible does this all the time. It's filled with all kinds of prophecies, prophecies about the coming Messiah, but there's also prophecies about nations. And I told you guys, uh, when we look at the dual nature of prophecy, sometimes the majestic nature of prophecy is that there's even multiple fulfillments, what we called a near-far fulfillment. And we specifically looked at that, as I do a little bit of re- review from two weeks ago, we, re- we looked at that in regard to a subject called the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord is mentioned by eight different Old Testament prophets and it's mentioned by several New Testament prophets and even mentioned by Jesus himself. The day of the Lord is not a 24 hour day as we would count a day, but it is the day when God is going to visit this world in righteousness, when he will judge the world. In fact, Acts 17, right right around 30 and 31 says, God has fixed the day when he will judge the world in righteousness. He's given evidence of this by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. God has a day set on his day timer or calendar if you want to put it that way. He's fixed the day, he set the day, he knows the day. We don't know it, but we'll talk about how much we can know about that day when he will judge the world in righteousness. And he's given evidence of this by raising Jesus from the dead, and Jesus Christ by the way, according to John chapter 5 is the judge. When you stand before the Lord on that day, you're gonna stand before Jesus Christ. And we're all familiar with parables that he gave when he said, I will say to those on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus is the judge. And it would be a good idea for all people walking the face of the planet to know the judge. Amen? Now the incredible truth about The judge is that the judge came to die for you. The judge took his own judgment. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. They will have what? Everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. As I try to turn my device. You know, it's amazing technology, right? It's supposed to turn. Why is, oh, okay, there it goes. (laughs) The purpose of prophecy, evidence that can be tested. Are you taking notes? Uh, Prophecy can be tested. You might wanna tell your skeptical friend. This is what the Bible makes, uh, one of the things that makes the Bible quite unique. God puts his reputation on the line with predictive prophecy. Jesus gave a prophecy. 40 years before Jerusalem fell, he gave it in detail. You can test it. He gave it around 30 to 33 AD. Jerusalem, all over, historical sources outside the Bible say Jerusalem fell in AD 70. You can test the prophecy. Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. He predicted armies coming into Jerusalem to destroy it. He predicted an abomination that causes desolation. All of these things are historically verified and came to pass another purpose of prophecy is for alertness Jesus will say be on the alert I've told you in advance that's the title of this message prophecy is for preparation faithfulness Jesus said when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth how do you feel when I say to you Jesus could come again in your lifetime how does that strike you does that excite you or worry you does it cause you to say, I better clean out some of the closets in my house that still have some skeletons that might fall out <laughs> when being opened? I think it was Charles Swindoll who said, the second coming of Jesus Christ tends to smash all of the idols in our lives. He's coming again. This is his promise. And I want to focus on the word promise for a second because it's nice to be able to live in the light of the promise. The promise. You see, we are simply passing through. One day Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem, and I am living anchored to a promise. Now, a promise is only as good as the person who delivers it. So if someone has been known to be true to their word, that makes me feel better about their promises, And I know this, God is true to his promises. So wherever you are on the spectrum of faith this morning, wherever you may stand in your own personal journey with the Lord, we are all standing upon a promise. And his promise is for new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. So living in the light of that promise is what prophecy is about. God has promised us many things, He's told us we'll be co-heirs with Christ. Many wonderful things. There's just a few hurdles we all have. One of them is we gotta deal with the flesh, the devil, and this world system. Two is we gotta deal with our own mortality. And three is if we happen to be that generation that goes through the great tribulation, we're gonna have to deal with some testing. Some people believe that we'll be raptured pre-tribulationally, And if I had a vote, I would be in that camp. I've all told you that before. There's good scholars that have different views on the timing of the rapture and all that kind of stuff, but Jesus gave us a marker. This is where we left off last time in Mark 13, verse 14, when he said these words, Mark 13, 14. He says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, and you'll see this both in Mark and Matthew's gospel, it says, let the reader understand Uh, By the way, you are the reader right now. Whoever was gonna read this, they wanted the reader to understand, and that's you right now. You just read it. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Matthew 24, 15, Matthew's parallel text says, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then it says, let the reader understand. Now for this abomination of desolation, whatever this is, and we, we looked at a couple of passages last time. We looked at Daniel eleven thirty one, and we said something like this happened historically. It was carried out by a man who uh, was a Syrian leader, and he did this right around, eight, uh, excuse me, 168 BC or 167. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he went into the Jewish temple and desecrated the temple. Put what the, the book of 1 Maccabees, not an inspired book, but a historical book, calls the uh, desolating sacrilege, the abomination of desolation. That's the exact words used, just as this is still review, from Daniel eleven thirty one, He slaughtered a pig on the altar unclean to the Jews. He put a statue of Zeus in the holy place, And he uh, desecrated the temple. And this is where we get the celebration. And by the way, this happened about mid-December, 168, 167 B.C. And when the Jews finally, through guerrilla warfare, were able to get him out of there and they cleansed the temple, that's where they get the holiday Hanukkah. So that's why that's celebrated, by the way, in December. And one of the things that happened was the oil lasted longer than it should have and that's uh, one of the ways that they celebrate the holiday the abomination of desolation Jesus says will be standing in the holy place now if this is a future prophecy what will have to be standing for this to come to pass a temple the holy place is the temple If you look at 2 Thessalonians 2, I won't go there this morning, verses one through four, Paul said the same thing, there's a symmetry in the teaching. He said there's this man of lawlessness who's going to set himself above all objects of worship and wanna be worshiped as God. And so some of you have heard that there's been this idea of the antichrist and he's the ultimate antichrist and he's gonna go into a rebuilt Jewish temple and proclaim himself to be God. And this is where this idea comes from. That's why it's quite interesting to see uh, right now there's a great movement to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. There's a temple institute. I believe they've completed all the implements for a modern temple. And they really would like to see that temple go up. But we know that there's tension right now in the Middle East. Turn to the book of Luke for a second. Luke... Hey, folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. And we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633. And in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects. But God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. And when the Jews finally, through guerrilla warfare, were able to get him out of there and they cleansed the temple, that's where they get the holiday Hanukkah so that's why that's celebrated by the way in December and one of the things that happened was the oil lasted longer than it should have and that's uh, one of the ways that they celebrate the holiday the abomination of desolation Jesus says will be standing in the holy place now if this is a future prophecy what will have to be standing for this to come to pass a temple the holy place is the temple If you look at 2 Thessalonians 2, I won't go there this morning, verses one through four, Paul said the same thing, there's a symmetry in the teaching. He said there's this man of lawlessness who's going to set himself above all objects of worship and wanna be worshiped as God. And so some of you have heard that there's been this idea of the antichrist and he's the ultimate antichrist and he's gonna go into a rebuilt Jewish temple And proclaim himself to be God And this is where this idea comes from That's why it's quite interesting to see uh, Right now there's a great movement To rebuild the temple in Jerusalem There's a temple institute I believe they've completed all the implements For a modern temple And they really would like to see that temple go up But we know that there's tension right now In the Middle East Turn to the book of Luke for a second Luke 21 Just to your right Luke 21, look at verse 20. Jesus talked about this this abomination of desolation, some foul thing that's gonna happen in the temple. He also mentioned something else that I think has a near-far fulfillment. It's found in Luke 21, look at verse 20. He says, Luke 21, 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. That's a key word, the abomination of desolation. Then let those who are in Judea, Luke 21, 21, flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of the city depart. Let not those who are in the country enter the city. So that tells me that another purpose of prophecy is protection. You might wanna write that down. Jesus gave a prophecy for people who would heed it in the immediate fulfillment at the fall of Jerusalem. He said, when you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, flee to the mountains. By the way, this was literally fulfilled in A.D. 70. As the Roman armies came, they surrounded the city. And Josephus, who's a historian of this time, says that there were people who knew the prophecy and they did flee. The fourth century historian Eusebius records that Christians gave heed to the warning. He says, the people of the church in Jerusalem were commanded by an oracle given by revelation before the war to those in the city to depart and dwell in one of the cities of Perea, which was called Pella. That's from Eusebius, the fourth century historian. He says, when Jerusalem was about to fall, people remembered the words of the Lord. They were shared by the church, and they did depart, and they got out of there, and I believe that there is a near fulfillment. It did happen historically in AD 70, and I believe there's a far fulfillment when it will happen again, when the Antichrist will go into the temple. Jesus says back to Mark thirteen fifteen, let him who is on the housetop not go down to or enter in to get anything out of his house, get out, don't even go back to get your coat. Mark thirteen, sixteen, let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. Mark thirteen, seventeen, woe to those who are with child, to those who nurse babes in those days, but pray that it may not be in the winter. For those days, this is Mark thirteen nineteen, will be a time of tribulation. That is where we get the famous idea of the tribulation, right there from the words of Jesus. The tribulation. And just so you guys are clear on this word, tribulation is a Greek word called flipsis, T H L I P S I S. The word technically means pressure. It can mean persecution. It can have the idea in the ancient world when they were gonna execute so- someone uh, for a capital offense, they sometimes, this is sad, but this is what they did, they put a large boulder on your chest until you were suffocated. The person would be under flipsis, pressure, until they died. Well, this is the idea of the word, and sometimes the word is translated persecution. Sometimes the word is, is translated tribulation. And people ask the question, who is the tribulation for? Hopefully not for me, (laughs) amen? When we start thinking about getting real practical, what is tribulation? Well, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Same word, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. By the way, who did he say that to? In this world, you will have tribulation to his own people. Has the church for 2,000 years, two millennia, ever been really spared tribulation? No. Right now in the world, you know the church is going through tribulation, right? If you if you have the means to go to Voice of the Martyrs or look at websites that tell you what's going on to Christians right now, the church is going through tribulation. Thank God that you live in America. Because we still have the freedom To do what we're doing this morning We don't have to be underground We don't have to be in fear of our lives Largely at least But in other places right now Your brothers and sisters are going through tribulation And I don't want to ruin your day But I will tell you this Some of your brothers and sisters are being crucified Right now Beheaded Going through terrible suffering So we count our blessings, of course. We try to protect the things that this country was founded on, but we don't live in ignorance to church history. After all, 11 of the 12 apostles died a martyr's death. If anybody was going to be protected from tribulation, it would be them, don't you think? But they died a martyr's death. So we have a lot of blessings to count. But Jesus said there's gonna be days of tribulation such as has not occurred, verse 19, since the beginning of the creation. By the way, God does believe that the world was created. God doesn't believe in evolution, just so you know. <laughs> which God created until now and never shall. We got a call on the Bible answer show. Concerned mom said my son, 28 years old, walking away from the faith to which he was, with which he was raised. And he's bringing up arguments like, why do you Christians celebrate a pagan holiday like Christmas? (laughs) When she first called in, I said, why does he care? (laughs) Why does he care what you do? He's saying he doesn't even believe there's a God. Of course, a concerned mom. We have concerned parents in this room and grandparents. We have prodigals all over the place. And my response she did call back the second time was just by the physical creation alone, Romans 1.20, the Bible says that men and women are inexcusable before God. Check it out, read it later, Romans 1, verse 20. Just by the physical creation alone, men and women are without excuse. Why? Because the creation cries out for a creator and his invisible attributes are not kind to seen. They're clearly seen by what has been made. And Jesus says, Jesus is speaking, verse 20, he says, unless, Mark 13, verse 20, the Lord had shortened those days, literally the Greek word is amputated them, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, that word is the chosen, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now, this also could have a near far fulfillment, but look at the sweeping language in verse 20. No life would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. This is going to be a hard time. In Matthew 24 21, if you just want to write it in your margin, Jesus says, Then there will be great megos tribulation. Megos flipsis is the Greek combination great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever shall be one of the arguments for the preterists I told you those who hold that all of this was fulfilled at the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 is they say well you you can really kind of link this to the, the fall of the actual nation the temple in AD 70 but Jesus uses sweeping language here he says it's going to be a time of trouble like has never been seen before. And even though about 1 million Jewish people, sadly, some, some say 1.6 million Jews died at the fall of Jerusalem, many more of them died in the Nazi Holocaust. Not 1.6 million, but about 6 million Jews died at the, in the Nazi Holocaust, not to mention Christians and others. And of course, we know that if this does occur again, and that's what Jesus is pointing to, it's going to be a very difficult time like nothing that has ever been seen before. That's one of the arguments that it's still future because this was not the most sweeping, terrible time that history has ever seen. In Romans 11.26, it does say that Israel will have an eye-opening experience at this time that the Lord will cut short the days for the sake of the elect a big argument among those who are trying to figure out the timing and their position on this is who's the elect is the elect Israel is the elect the church well we know that in the New Testament most of the uses for the word elect has to do with the church and says those days will be shortened for the sake of the elect I like being the elect when it comes to salvation amen isn't it cool that God chose you I don't know how all that works, by the way. I know there's a big mystery on election and free will and predestination. I know all of you wrestle with that. I think Spurgeon may have said it best when he said, I'm glad God chose me before the world was because if he chose me after I was born, he never would have chosen me. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Who are the elect? Well, the church is the elect. Some would argue that Israel is the elect, but... Here's the deal, it means those who are picked out. God loves you, and he chose you, incredibly incredibly before the foundation of the world. He chose you to be holy and blameless in his son. I think it's kind of humbling, don't you, that God chose me, that God said, I want Michael to be with me. I think it's pretty awesome. And then, if anyone, verse 21, says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he's there, Jesus says, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show, mark this, signs and wonders in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray, and here's the title of our message, but take heed, behold, I've told you everything. Everything. In advance, Jesus gives a warning, and he says there's gonna be false Christs plural, false prophets, plural. They're gonna arise, and get this, they're gonna show great signs and wonders. You might wanna just write in your Bible there, Revelation 13, because in Revelation 13, we are told that this false prophet and the beast, uh, at least the fa- in regard to the false prophets and the beast, I believe, we'll have the ability to do false signs and wonders. We go back to the Egyptian situation where the children of Israel are in Egyptian bondage and the magicians in Pharaoh's court were able to duplicate some of the, the miracles that Moses did. Some people say it was sleight of hand. Some people say no, they actually had some dark powers and we're gonna see this kind of thing happen. I don't know of this kind of thing happening in terms of false signs and wonders being done at the fall of Jerusalem, but we do know in the first century there were people who claimed to have this kind of power. Simon Magus was one of them. People called him the mighty power of God. He, I don't know if he duped people with uh, you know, sleight of hand or if he really had dark power, but I'll tell you this, there are people in the room right now that I could call up here And I could interview, and I could say to them, hey, when you were on the other side and messing around with things satanic, was there a real power there? And you would get a yes answer. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up It's on the occult. It's called the dark dangers of the occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.